Okay. There you go. For all those 10 pod that we have, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, what defiles us comes from within. We're going to just jump right into the scripture, and I'll read it to you. Mark 7, 1 through 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the, to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. So before I go on, let's, I'm going to talk a little bit about this, uh, thing that, this thing that the teachers of the law are calling Jesus and his disciples out on, and that's this, that they're, um, that they're eating their dinner without washing their hands, ceremonially washing their hands. So, and, and, he, and he says, you're holding on to traditions of the elders. And because it was truly a tradition of the church, not a, um, a law that had been given to them through the prophets, the prophets had received uh, a message that in, uh, for priests offering a, like a, a sacrifice, there was a ceremonial washing that went along with that. And at some point along the line, uh, uh, the teachers and the elders of the church decided to uh, make that a tradition of everyone, that we would do a ceremonial washing before we consumed any food. So this was a tradition of the elders, not uh, a law from God. He continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So he gave, uh, he gave the, uh, the teachers of the law who were calling them out on this um, breaking of tradition with defiling themselves by eating with unwashed hands with another example of something that they have done, an, a tradition of the, of the church back then, which was that um, in that culture, it, it was expected that children would help their parents throughout their life financially, um, and that was a duty in honoring your parents. Um, as as the law had told us, uh, but the church had come up with this, this sort of way around that. I think it probably was born out of the need for the church to be funded in some ways, and maybe um, uh, parents who were greedy and uh, asked too much of their children. And so uh, the church came up with this way to say, you know, there, we need to, we need funds to support the ministry. And so we're going to come up with this system where you can tell your parents your finances are Corbin. That is, they're going to be devoted to God. And basically, hands off, this is Corbin. Uh, you don't have access to this. But 
it, it, it of course, uh, was uh, misused. And so, uh, so people who wanted to keep their own finances, keep their own resources, and not help their parents out could just call Corbin and uh, be excused from, uh, from following the law. I, I think it's really funny. I mean, the way I read the... Um, the some commentaries on it is that people would literally just say the word Corbin to their parents. <laughs> I was trying to think of like a, a an example now where you like some word that we say that like gets us out of helping people. I don't know. Maybe you can come up with one in your own mind. I didn't really come up with anything. I'm sure there are dozens. I'm What's that? I'm yeah, I'm busy. commercials during the Super Bowl? Well, they had, like the Cheetos fingers. Oh yeah, oh, that one. That. And he's like, yeah. can't touch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch the commercials. What was it? He had his fingers covered in Cheeto dust, so he couldn't. Yeah. He couldn't help anybody. Couldn't help anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it was empty. It was empty. Cheeto fingers. All right. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. This scripture is one that is definitely used in um, saying that all food was, was now uh, acceptable for anyone to eat. There weren't unclean foods. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. I put up here this proverb, all above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. It comes from Proverbs 4, it's the 23rd verse. That, that Proverbs uh, is written like uh, from a father to a son, where he just gives lots of advice about living holy. And, and he says, above all else, guard your heart, for it's a wellspring of life. The wellspring, wellspring means like it's the origin, it's like the original and the source of something source of life, I guess in this example. Let's see. All right, I'm going to jump right into some more scripture, basically because uh, this is uh, all the uh, um, little rabbit trails that I've thought that I went through took me through lots of scriptures, and, um, and uh, so I'm going to share this with you. I jumped to this scripture in my mind after thinking about heart. Um, this is from Luke, and it's uh, Jesus. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think I've probably got to that point thinking of the Pharisees. Then it says, a tree and its fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Oh, I've got my notes up there. <laughs> I think you're going to run into this a little bit. As I talk about thorns and the fruit metaphor, conclude, Jesus calls us to be changed from the inside out. Now you guys all know my thought process. Leaving the <laughs> I love my notes up here. All right. Uh, I listened to a sermon, and, and I wish I could remember. It was a... It was um, from the church where Greg Boyd teaches, but it wasn't Greg Boyd. Uh, what's that church called? Uh, Woodland Hills. Thank you. So it was a minister from Woodland Hills that I was listening to talking about this scripture. And he was talking about um, this idea of uh, how oftentimes we focus a lot on our behavior, our change of behavior um, in our walk with Christ. And, uh, and we... And we often fail to see what Jesus' point was about how we have to be changed from the inside out. So he talked about this difference between um, a good tree bearing good fruit. And this is what we want to bear good fruit in, in our life here, right? And, uh, and we try very hard to do the things which we believe are right. But if you're not doing the things which are right from a source within your heart, an overflowing of your heart, if you're just trying to tie good apples onto your thorn bushes, you're not changed, right? He had this image of if you're focusing just on the behavior, not the change of your heart, uh, you're not a changed tree. You're just superficially trying to tie uh, good fruit onto your thorns, I have more. Look at that. I did not. I got really into to, into this teaching. <laughs> I mean, up until last night, up until last night, Ben will even say, I was still just reading a book I decided I wanted to read uh, for this teaching. I was only into like the fourth chapter of like a 10 chapter book and I hadn't even started my slides. So I have this slide up here uh, with a note to myself to insert an image of the brain. <laughs> so you can just in your own mind insert an image of a brain. There on that slide, imagine, imagine that three pounds of noodles between your ears right there. So the, the Bible talks a lot about heart and soul and spirit. And uh, sometimes the words are interchanged. And I tried to start looking up the Greek words for all the different words used for heart um, within these scriptures that I was reading and the words for soul. And there's a lot of different words. And unfortunately, I'm not a... Uh, person who understands Greek. So from the basic uh, understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about heart, and is it's the ruling center of the whole person, okay? And that is truly uh, in our brains, right? We don't rule from this muscle that, that pumps blood. We were talking about um, something within our brains. 
when I um, was reading this about how the evil comes out of the evil stored up in our heart and good comes out of the good stored up in our heart, it got to me to asking the question, how do we end up with evil stored in our hearts? This is kind of a big question that probably a lot of people have different perspectives on. Um, I'm curious if anything has come to you guys right now. Where does the evil stored in our hearts come from? Yeah, Daniel? Well, I think that the, what the evil that's stored in our hearts is from the, like, the people that, for example, like this guy I know, his name is Colton Loser. He, he's all, he's been, he's a drunk driver, drunk, drink and drove. Um, he's beat his girlfriends and all that. That's my perspective of it. So you think that, 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 that you see the evil? Start up in his heart from what he's done, or you believe what he's done is put the evil into his heart? Yeah, I, the, way, I, the way I believe in what he has done is put the evil into his heart. Okay. Yeah, Jess? I think um, pain can do that to, to certain people, too. Like pain, like trauma? Yeah, like just things that have happened to them. Yes. Or like the way they've been, they've been brought up. And some people can't really, like, shake that and, like, learn from it. Some people just store it and like keep it inside of them our experiences yeah something I've been thinking about a lot of the last year is um, the people we hang with the the people that influence us and how if we allow those people to be dark people and to and begin we begin to accept very non-christian actions after a while out of them then after a while it just becomes part of us and you'll see people that you know, mean well, but then they will become very, you know, very dark and very um, just not Christ-centered because of the influence around them. Mm-hmm. Contaminated. Contaminated basically by yeah. <clears throat> evil influence or, or um, unholy influence? Yes? Uh, you can wear it. I think about like little kids, you can put all these races together, and kids just play together until they, they're taught that you don't hang out with certain people and all that. And, and so and then you just start acting upon that and you start making your own connections through stuff. So you can actually learn. You're taught that it's good, so it's actually evil. That is a great segue for this little uh, bit that I want to read from the book I decided to start reading yesterday. Or maybe, I think it was actually Friday, but I didn't get very far in the laundromat with it. <laughs> uh, for those of you who know, I spend my price at the laundromat trying to be studious. All right. So I'm going to read just a little bit because it, it bounces off what Herb said. After a babe... Oh, maybe I should give a little introduction to this book. It's called The God-Shaped Brain. It's written by Timothy R. Jennings, who is a psychiatrist. And um, and uh, he this, this book is uh, all about the brain and about our thoughts and how our perspective of God changes our brain, for better or worse. Um, this is about uh, kind of the physical part of our brains when we're babies. After birth, a baby's brain contains hundreds of millions more neurons hundreds of millions more neurons at birth than it will have when it is eight years of age. For the first eight years of life, the brain is busy killing off neurons by the hundreds of millions. 
At first, this doesn't sound too productive, but think of it like Michelangelo's block of marble before he begins on it. And then think of the same block of marble after he has transformed it into a wondrous work of art. When the art is finished, he has less marble, but he has a masterpiece. The brain comes into the world prepared to be acted on by education, environment, and experience. Neurons, by the millions, are waiting to be retained, strengthened, and expanded. But those neural circuits have not, but those neural circuits that are not used become pruned, deleted, or reassigned. So what Herb said, you come into the world as a baby and your brain gets shaped, right? For better or for worse. I left this up here. Um, this is a, uh, this was actually a very popular like mean meme and it got spread around a lot. It's, it says, according to the National Science Foundation, an average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Of these, 80% are negative and 95% are repetitive thoughts. Now I've tried to fact check this and discovered that this is a very contested, uh, uh, the National Science Foundation is actually just a foundation that like uh, that funds research, and uh, this this has been perpetuated as a as like something that was proven, but really it's hard to find this study. In fact, I couldn't find the study that actually said this. But what I did find was that we do have thousands and thousands of thoughts every day. Twelve thousand is on the low end of what people assume an average person has. Eighty or let's see, sixty thousand is like that's hard to prove that a person could actually have that many. So we have as many as 12,000 thoughts per day. This says 80% are negative. I found other studies that said 70% are negative. More thoughts are negative than are positive. Whether it's 80, 70, 60, more are positive. 95% are repetitive thoughts. And that makes sense because our brains are formed and our thoughts go down um, these neural pathways that our brains have formed and, and um, and so our thoughts are very repetitive from day to day. Let's see. Trying to remember what I was going to talk about here. Um, so I started thinking about this evil stored up in our hearts, right? And from the perspective of the way our brains are formed and the information we take in as truth or lies and the experiences that we have, and how, when Jesus talks about our hearts, that center where we make our decisions, he's actually talking about a physical thing in our bodies. How our brains have been formed and what they look like and the lies that they believe and the truth that they believe. And how that affects what our faith is in and where we from what point uh, from what point we act from, right? And think from. Let me clarify a little bit. Let's see. I'll go ahead and read this for clarification. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war against the world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. <coughs> yeah, Daniel? Okay, so yeah, my girlfriend, the one day we were hanging out, we were at the North Bend Walmart, and she called she called herself ugly. I'm ugly look at her say, Teresa Marie Joe, no you're not. She we had an old argument about if she was ugly and I'm I look at her. She finally ended up giving up saying, let me win because she knows I drank. So what I've been talking about, these repetitive thoughts, you thought about how your girlfriend uh was saying that she was ugly. Yeah. Right? This is probably a repetitive thought that many people have. It is a lie that we believe about ourselves, a lie about our value. And the fact is, we have up to 12,000 thoughts per day, and a large percent of them are negative, and an and, and even larger percent of them are repetitive. And we are called by God to take every thought captive. And that is a huge task, but one that is so important for us to actually be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, a, a whole bunch of those thoughts, right, are just like about our tasks or observations. But there are certainly thought patterns that you can identify that uh, are, are beating down this pathway in your brain that is a lie, right? You say your girlfriend uh, said that she was ugly, right? Right? And so this is a pathway in her brain probably that she has gone down a million times, right? Yeah. And when we have these repetitive thoughts, we we go there very easily, right? Yeah. So how do we change that? How do we change that lie? It's very hard. Yeah, where I tell her is, I said one day, she was at the house, and I set her down, and I'm like, look, here's, here's what my dad has told me. I told her, look. People have also called her ugly too, so I set her down. I'm like, look, what people, what other people think, say about you is because it's the negative thing that people say about you is that they they can't or they say that because of the fact that they have nothing to say about themselves. So you speak a truth there, mm -hmm. right? Finn, is anything coming to your mind right now? <laughs> Ben is a therapist, right? And he studies, uh, he studies the brain tons. I, I tried to tell him that he should teach this, and I asked him to, like, pipe in any time I was rambling. So, but he's not piped in yet, nothing? Well, I, I don't know where it's going, so I don't want Well, maybe you should direct it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. No, I, no I, it's not his fault. I respect his I respect his opinion so much, and it can be difficult to be in front of people and keep your thought process like in line with what you actually want to say. Well, I think I think it's really neat because this, you know, I I don't know how old Second Corinthians is, but it's really, really, really old, and um, now we're doing all sorts of studies on the brain, and they're learning all sorts of stuff from imaging and and lots of things. And it's just confirming so much of what the Bible has taught for thousands of years about, um, you know, focusing on focusing on what Christ has done for you and and how things can change. Um, <clears throat> and and now science is just coming back and like, oh yeah, that's right. If you if you focus on um, 
how much you can't stand your neighbor all day long, um, the next day it'll be easier to focus on how much you can't stand your neighbor, and on and on and on. Um, and 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 like Jesus understood that, which is, I think it's just it's it's beautiful. Um, and I think, you know, like Daniel's saying, some people <coughs> early on get get terrible messages and terrible beliefs, and, and we all do, um, but it doesn't, also what science is learning is that those pathways can change. Uh, now, it's not very easy, but um, like just like we try to tell our kids, just because you're not good at math now doesn't mean you won't ever be good at math. Um, and just because I have a hard time believing that um, I have value now, doesn't mean that it's not true. Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah, you did. So I, I, I think that's what, that's what I think is really neat. And um, for I, I don't like for the longest time I didn't like praise and worship music until I started uh, hearing more of these studies about how uh, positive thought and focusing on these kinds of things has. I mean, it can have a really big impact on just your day-to-day because if, if when you're down, you start, you start thinking through your favorite song um, and it's a praise and worship song, you're, your direction is changing pretty quickly. Um, it's backed up by science. It's, it's neat. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Ben. I think that helped okay. me a lot. Um, ooh, I was thinking about thoughts and how... Um, these thoughts that we go down too often and these pathways that we trod through our brain affect our character and our heart. And I, and so I found all these different, this one's from Gandhi. He said, a man is the product of his thoughts. What he thinks he becomes this guy, this Chinese philosopher, I don't know how to say his name. Anybody know how to say that? Wow. What is it? Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu. See, T and Z really shouldn't be there. Yeah, it's like Leo But you said it right. Again? Lao Tzu. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. All right, you know, I wish I had a blank screen. I'm just gonna leave these up when I talk about this. I um, <clears throat> I have a tendency to be very um, task-oriented to the point that I can very much um, push away feelings and uh, push away people so that I can get what I think is valuable done in a day, and I've become more and more aware of this. Um, and Sometimes I have absolutely no idea why I'm angry or what is even causing my angry thoughts. And this is a very basic uh, example of a, a way that my thoughts cause me to sin in a day basis, day-to-day basis. You know, we live in a small space, and a lot of times, in spite of the fact that I try so hard, um, it can be messy and things can be hard to find. And when I can't find something, that is something in me that triggers such an angry response. Like, just the other day, I was trying to make pizza dough, and I'd already figured out that I didn't have enough white flour, and I don't like using whole wheat flour in pizza dough. 
It actually turned out pretty good. Um, so I'm mixing that, and I really don't have yeast, and Cora goes up to Jenny's to borrow yeast from me. And then, for the love, I can't find the liquid measure. The liquid measure pitcher thing. I only have one, and I don't know how to measure one and one-third cups warm water without it. <laughs> because dry measure cups are not the same as liquid measure. My mother told me that. This is the truth, I believe. It will not work. <laughs> Where could it be? And then I think, Ben put it away. Lord knows where he put it. <laughs> right? Ben's fault. And maybe it was the kids. I mean, they just don't care. They don't care how hard I work to try to keep this place organized. People just put stuff anywhere they want to put it. And I am so mad. And is it Ben's fault? No, it's not Ben's fault. Can we, but, are, is this recording? <laughs> <laughs> no, Ben does not put things, places to hide them from me. That is a lie. And he is not, um, he's, he's not, he doesn't, it's not like he just doesn't care. He's actually trying to help. That's the truth. But I, I, I turned it into a lie, a pathway in my brain that I travel down all the time. Ben doesn't, Ben's <laughs> 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 blinking his eyes. That like he's he's thoughtless, right? He's not, not thoughtless. In fact, he's incredibly thoughtful. This is a lot. I'm I'm being very honest. This is I'm confessing to you guys. Uh, and then the kids are kids. They are not trying to. Uh, they're not trying to hurt me with their disorganization. They're just kids, right? Um, fact was, the picture was underneath another uh, like larger plastic container that was kind of opaque and you couldn't see through that I, I was the one that had washed the dishes. I had literally like stacked it under there. I'm the one that had put it there. I didn't find it till later. I did use the dry liquid measures and they worked okay. <laughs> Another truth. It'll be all right, mom. Anyway, uh, I was trying to think through, because uh, I was, when I was doing this, I started to think through times when I said, because when I can't find something, I get mad and I tend to start snapping at people. Um, and so out of these lies and um, untrue thought patterns that I have um, trod down within my brain out comes sin. It's a physiological thing. It's not just, it's, and, and, and my point today was that we have an active part in, re in transforming our brain because oftentimes um, sin comes from lies that you believe and thought patterns you allow yourself to go down without, um, without catching them and saying, that's not true, actually. What is true is whatever. Oftentimes, like Ben was saying, like you can't stand your neighbor. See nasty thoughts about them, and you think they kind of deserve it. I mean, they do like just leave their, their trash piled up in the front yard, and so they deserve your judgment, and it stinks, and, and they are. And you, you like dehumanize them in your mind like they deserve your judgment, right? Which is not true. God has already established what every person's worth is. And that is like unsurpassable worth. He died for every single person. So if you catch yourself, maybe everybody think about some, everybody has somebody in their, in their, in their lives that really rubs them the wrong way, Right? And you can easily find yourself having judgmental, nasty thoughts about them. Um, so I, one practice that I heard someone uh, suggest it to help you um, catch yourself in that is to imagine God's love for them. Even imagine 
God's arms around them, God's forgiveness for them, God's uh, unsurpassable love for them, maybe an image or just 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 a thought of the fact that this person is as loved by God as anyone else, that God's love pours out like them like Niagara Falls on a pebble, right? His love for them is unsurpassable, and that is the truth about their worth. I'm going to read this. Oh, I've already got it up here. This is in the same book. It says, why must we bring every thought into captivity to Jesus? Because if we don't actively stop firing unhealthy neural circuits, those unhealthy thought patterns will not degrade and our characters will not be transformed in Christ-likeness. This is the meaning behind his famous reinterpretation of adultery. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus knew, of course, that if we continue to commit sin in our imaginations, those unhealthy circuits grow stronger and our characters cannot be healed. Jesus is revealing to us how incredibly important our thoughts are. We think, well, we haven't actually committed adultery in the flesh. We haven't actually done it. So that's not, so we think that the thought, lustful thoughts or adulterous thoughts in our mind are not as bad. But Jesus said, no, that's not true. It is as bad. So we can all assume that we have all committed adultery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Daniel. Mm-hmm. Right? This is, this is that important. To take our thoughts captive is that important. This isn't for like the spiritually elite. This isn't like some higher level that only some people are called to get to. We need to recognize how our thought patterns shape our brain. And when we're talking about the brain, we're talking about this heart. How our thought patterns shape our heart. And how Jesus wasn't looking for us to tie apples onto our thorn bushes, onto our thorny branches. He was calling for a change of heart. Knowing how many thoughts we have a day, that can be really overwhelming. Paul was talking um, to the Corinthians about uh, these weapons that we wage wage war with and how they're not the weapons of the world, but they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we absolutely need God and this divine power to reshape our own brains. Not so that our brains can, our brains and our hearts can be reshaped. We have an active part in that. We have to be open to accepting truth from the word, truth from the spirit. We have to be open to um, recognizing our own sinful thought patterns and calling ourselves out, right? And committing that to God. So I was thinking about these, um, what, what are these, what's, what are these weapons we have, right? And these, this is what I came up with. And you maybe have more weapons in your, in your arsenal for, um, that you think of, but prayer and scripture and the, and the Holy Spirit were what came to me. So 
Uh, I'm trying to think of just a real life example. So uh, I can't find something, right? And I start feeling those angry feelings. Being mindful enough to recognize that I'm angry is something I am not very good at. Some people might be much better at this, but I am not very good at that. So I am convicted about my anger about when I can't lose something, when I lose something. Um, so recognizing that I'm angry in the moment and saying, and, and that I'm having thoughts that aren't true is difficult for me. I even resist it because I get on the angry train and I like it. And it's easy. It's the easy road. And it takes the blame off of me. And I justify my angry train. But if I want to actually change, change my heart and not sin in those moments, I have to be willing to open myself up to be changed. There's a scripture. I wonder if I have it up here. Uh, I didn't put it up here, but it talks. There's one that I almost put up here that was talking about how uh, uh, when we live by the, um, when we're not living by the spirit and we're living by the pattern of the world, we resist the spirit. Have you ever been angry? And there's like a little part of you. It's like, you're not, you're not thinking in a righteous way, but you resist it. You think I should pray. I want to pray. <laughs> right. I want to feel righteous in my anger. We you resist when you feel yourself resisting prayer, you can definitely that's definitely a light bulb, right? My thought pattern is not in line with the spirit if you're resisting prayer. So, stopping and having the humility to say, I'm in the wrong here and I need help, confessing it, praying to God to open your heart to the spirit truth, right? Because when we walk in the spirit, we'll know his will. If you can just stop yourself in humility and open yourself up to prayer in the spirit, it can really be helpful. And when we do that over and over and over and over again, we create new pathways in our brain. The good news is, this comes from the God-shaped brain, the good news is that many brain regions remain changeable throughout life, thanks to a condition called neuroplasticity. This is particularly true to the prefrontal cortex. As we exercise healthy neural circuits, these circuits develop, strengthen, and expand. Conversely, the brain prunes unhealthy circuits when we leave them idle. So long as I continue to have nasty thoughts when I can't find things, I will continue to have nasty thoughts when I can't find things. And I can't just say, Spirit change me one time and expect something miraculous to happen, right? We have an active part in this. We have to open ourselves up in those moments to be changed by God. And it, it takes releasing Releasing it to God, right? Releasing that stronghold that you want to take to uh, to your anger or to whatever it is. And this is applied to all kinds of things, right? All kinds of sins that uh, that Jesus talked about. 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. So we don't have time to go through. Yes, go ahead. What's folly? Folly. Isn't that just like um, basically like foolish behavior out of... Um, He's, art, he's got his phone out, man, right away. You gonna give me a definition for folly? All right. What does anybody, I think it's, I think it's just like foolish behavior out of like immaturity. It, the definition of folly is a lack of good sense or foolishness. Lack of good sense. <laughs> <laughs> lack of good sense, that's what folly is, yes? This, like, this isn't from like a, it could be a spiritual aspect, but um, I don't know if anybody's ever Yeah, so like you learn and you decide to learn an instrument, and at first this is you your your brain is not pre-programmed to play this instrument, right? But you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice. You get to this point if you actually stick with it that your brain has developed these pathways that it is second nature that you can play this song without thinking through your finger positioning or even what key it is or the next chord change, right? You practice this. If you stop playing that instrument for years and years and years, or you stop speaking a language that you learn for years and years and years, your brains will your brain will prune off the things that you're not using, right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Daniel's keeping me keeping me on tabs of my time. <laughs> so just like negative thought patterns or positive thought patterns, we can actually actively participate in the changing of our hearts so that we we stop going down lies, lie thought patterns that, tell, that say lies about people, lies about God, lies about ourselves. Replace those with thought patterns that are true and holy and righteous. And out of a newly formed brain, a renewing of the mind, good things will come. Good things for the world. Good things for the kingdom. It says, do, Romans says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is all I have for you. When I was sitting here um, doing the slides, I I've been trying to be really thoughtful in my thought patterns this morning, since it's what I was talking about, and I have been amazed at things that I've heard myself say to myself this morning. I was sitting there doing the, the slides, and my brain said, you have nothing to say. And like, I've talked for like 45 minutes. <laughs> and I caught myself saying it, and, and if, you're not, if you're not aware of your thoughts, if you're not being mindful, and uh, you, those will just pass right through, and you'll believe them, and your actions will be affected by the lies your brain is telling you. So I just pray that each of you uh, continue to think about this and maybe try to find one area in your life 
uh, that you really see yourself sinning perpetually and try to recognize the lies that are behind that and um, open yourself up to spirit, to the spirit truth. Um, find yourself scriptures that you can memorize, that the word written on your heart can really help you uh, to replace lies with truth. So you can find yourself scriptures and um, just uh, know that that the brain is not static, that it can it can grow and it can change. All right, we have time to take communion. And so, um, you know what, I'm not feeling up to it. Can you, can you leave some communion, Quinn, please? Sure. <laughs> As in? Just whatever we need to say prior to communion. I will do that, I will do that. <laughs> um, I'm going to assume today that most of you here know what communion is, so I'm not gonna take us through that. So I'm just gonna pray and I'll go up and uh, break the bread. Uh, just as that reminder um, that Christ was broken. Um, and as soon as I do that, please follow behind me and we can take the communion. Let's pray. God, uh, we praise you. We praise you for this sacrifice that we're remembering. Um, God, I want to expand that a little further and just say uh, we praise you for this family and how that that sacrifice has carried us another 2,000 years and that today um, we get to talk uh, to each other, and we get to listen uh, to the thoughts that Jeff, Jeff prepared for us, um, and uh, we get to be drawn a little bit closer to you. God, help us as we take the communion to remember Christ's death. Help us to remember how he's going to work in us, and uh, we'll just let him, how uh, he can move us from the darkness to the light. Through Christ we pray. Turn our lives from evil.